0: Come on. Welcome to Hip Hop Movie Club, where three old heads put their old heads together to vibe on some of the most memorable, or forgettable, hip hop-themed movies of all time. And here's HHMC, with your HHMCs, Boogie, JB, uh, yeah. and Dino Wright. Season 3, Episode 1, Do the Right Thing, Part 1. We pack so much into this discussion that part two will be out next week. Written, directed, and produced by Spike Lee. Released in 1989 and featuring a cavalcade of stars and -and up-and-comers who became superstars. In this episode, we'll answer the question, is this movie as vital and important as ever?
1: Do the Right Thing depicts 24 hours of the hottest day of the year in the Bedford-Stuyvesant section Brooklyn. It's a historically black section of the borough with exceptions such as the Korean convenience store and Sal's Pizzeria, which has been situated there for the past 25 years. Sal's Pizzeria is the epicenter of rising racial tensions between the young black men in bed and Sal and his sons Vito and Pino. While Vito is more open-minded, Pino hates interacting with the neighborhood residents primarily based on their skin color and cultural norms. Mookie is a black pizza delivery man working for Sal for a few years and dealing with the racial epithets and trying to find a balance between earning a living, his hostile work environment, maintaining his relationship with his girlfriend and son, and dealing with his friends who have far less patience for racism. Underlying racial tensions come to a head on this sweltering day with tragic results. So, Boogie, you want to kick us off on uh, your view of "Do the Right Thing"?
2: Yeah. So, "Do the Right Thing" is a classic Spike Lee movie. It's one of those movies that's meant to facilitate discussion. Uh, it talks on a lot of poignant topics that still exist to this day. So that's one of the things that I always appreciated about Spike. He was never afraid to. Uh, he's never afraid to put his views out on film. But I saw this movie for the first time in middle school. You know, one of our teachers got special permission to show it to us, and you know, it facilitated some discussion. It got us thinking, and it touched on a lot of things that uh, we saw in our neighborhood because it pretty much mirrored the Bed Stuy uh, neighborhood and, and do the right thing. But the first thing that really popped out for me was the intro. My favorite song from my favorite hip hop group of all time, "Fight the Power," like instant classic. We yeah, got introduced to Rosie Perez, as you know, dancing through the intro, um, just kind of getting you ready for what was to come. And every time I see that intro, it just gives me chills because it's such a great call to basically fight the power, as the, as the chorus says. I mean, we got some classic interactions between uh, the late Ozzy Davis and Ruby Dee. The chemistry between them is undeniable, of course, but it spills over really well into the movie as they play off of one another. One of my favorite actors of all time is actually in um, Do the Right Thing, Giancarlo uh, Esposito, who plays Bugging Out. This guy is so versatile. He plays in a lot of shows and movies. and any role that I see him in, he steals the show. He's a he's a great, phenomenal actor. I um, mean, then there's another list of up-and-comers and people that, if you see them now, they're like big man A-listers. So, I mean, I think the movie is a really good one by Spike Lee. Like I said, in in... It's very enjoyable for me, because it like I said, it facilitates discussion. Anyone who watches the movie definitely has to get something out of it. You can't watch the movie and walk away from it not feeling anything. You're gonna feel something. And I think that's what I probably appreciate the most about it. It makes you think.
1: Yeah, good, good analysis there. It, it makes your blood boil because of all the racism that's depicted. It's sickening because We're all trying to get along. We're all trying to get along in society, and you see just hatred that's deep-seated. Just to piggyback off of a couple of your comments, Fight the Power was amazing. I love that song. It is played throughout with Radio Raheem. That's the only song he really plays on his boombox. I was watching some of the bonus features with this, and Chuck D was contacted by Spike Lee to create an anthem for this movie. So he knew about the script. He knew what it was all about. Chuck D was like "Uh, all right you need anthem and he put together a few verses and (laughs) I think Spike Lee was the first cut wasn't good he said sent it back and it wasn't even called fight the power and what he did eventually get was what you hear in the movie and it's funny you never hear the full song because it wasn't even completed that time so Hmm. they put snippets of the song in there and it was super powerful and then Chuck D and, and the rest of Public Enemy completed that song. Amazing anthem. Introduction of Rosie Perez, I believe it was Martin Lawrence's first movie as well.
2: Yeah.
1: We'll get to a lot of the other actors and actresses. But Sam Jackson, <laughs> before he became Samuel L. Jackson as senior right. love daddy, the radio DJ was, was awesome. He was like the objective observer. He's a DJ talking to the to the town, seeing everything that goes on and uh, he's a cool character as he always is. And then there's so many other great characters in here. One other thing you mentioned Ossie Davis and Ruby Dee who had been married in real life. Um, the funny thing with that is Ossie plays his character called the mayor, <laughs> bit of a town drunk, but he's, he's wise. He has a scene where he saves a boy from getting hit by the car. And Ossie Davis mentioned uh, in one of the interviews was that the relationship he had with Ruby Dee who plays mother sister who watches over the neighborhood it paralleled almost the relationship in real life. Not that he was a town drunk, but he said that she looked down on him a little bit early on in the relationship. Like she didn't really have trust in him and, and see his virtue. And then she, she kind of grew to love him. So I thought that was really a nice touch that Spike had for bringing them into the, into the film together. Yeah. Very nice. Yeah. Dina Wright, what are your uh, initial impressions?
0: I had never seen this
1: before, which is
0: crazy to think all these years later, I hadn't seen it, but. It's really, it really is fresh and relevant now. And I think important for me to see a movie like this, but the beginning when it's more of a feel good kind of comedy, it's really funny. <laughs> There's a Jerry curl alert. <laughs> that your Daddy love talk about someone was cleaner than the board of health. Like this is really funny stuff. And I'm so glad I got to see this and we love Robin Harris. If you've listened to any of our episodes,
2: yes. Um,
0: You'll see that <laughs> he has some great lines. If Tyson dreams of whooping my ass, he better wake up and apologize. You're 30 cents away from having a quarter. You eat the holes out of donuts. Like, man, if he had lived, he would have been a megastar.
2: Uh, Absolutely.
0: It was kind of also funny to see that <laughs> his name in the movie I don't know if I should even repeat it, but <laughs> his name in the movie is so bad, <laughs> it's so raunchy. Yeah, slick Dick Willie. I mean, there's people. Slick Dick Willie. There's two phallic references in this. I mean, <laughs> not just Dick. one, but two. <laughs> oh
1: mm. man, his dialogue is one of the three cornermen, as they call it. Yeah, um, yeah. Coconut Sid and ML. ML. Those guys are great. I mean, I could listen to an entire. It's almost like barbershop routine. Yeah, sitting on the corner, and yes. they're just they're just shooting the breeze and talking about. Pertinent topics, though, but it's like, kind of like, oh man. And they're jealous of, of the Korean convenience store. It's like, oh, these people just got off the boat and they have a store within the past year. And, and they're going back and forth saying it's not fair, but it's because we're black. And <laughs> Robin Harris's character is like, knock it the heck off. You always say you have these big dreams. Yeah. Where's your, you know, go get a job, do, do this. I can give you money. And he's like, it's Miller time. I'm out of here. Right. <laughs> he was always kind of level level setting these guys um, from yeah. just, just complaining about their their lot in life.
2: But it's so funny because even like in that conversation, you know, there's humor to those conversations, but there's also some truth to it as well. Mm-hmm. As, you know, a lot of documentation is becoming public now. We're realizing that there actually was some redlining that did occur in African American communities, and also where banks um, made it hard, or you know, they're denied to get loans, or made it impossible or hard to get those loans to open businesses in neighborhoods. Whereas, even though they're considered an immigrant coming from another country, you know, you do have the, the Chinese and the Koreans that will come over and they're able to get those businesses. Like I said, I've seen it in my own neighborhood. You know, there's so many, there's been a couple of shops and th- stores that have opened in the neighborhood, whereas people that live there aren't able to, or if they do get one, it doesn't stay open that long. So, I mean, there's, despite taking a scene, put some humor to it, but put a little bit of truth in there as well.
1: <laughs> yeah. I think this this movie was a great mix of, Real, hardcore, real talk, racism. But again, there was some comedic, definitely some comedic aspects of it. I mean, I, I like the dialogue. I'm a huge sports fan, so I even liked the little, I, I mean, I love that Spike Lee's wearing the Jackie Robinson jersey, which is also symbolic, breaking the color barrier in baseball. But there's also the commentary where they're going back and forth. Who's the better pitcher, Doc Good or Roger Clemens? And that's <laughs> that was a huge debate in the mid in the mid 80s and late late 80s. Yeah um yeah there was just some some, some really good dialogue and <laughs> the stuff about Mike Tyson that you mentioned, Dina Right and this guy
2: That was great.
1: <laughs> and then um they're like F Mike Tyson. <laughs> 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 but the, the whole cinematography was great too. The close-ups, this the slow motion scene when you have the white cops roll up and it's like, you know, what a waste. It was so powerful again, it's the hottest day of the year. You can you can almost feel the heat through the screen. They use, you see the folks sweating, you see the almost like red hues. Um, now watch what Very yeah, intentional. Intentionally, yeah. right. The red hues to make yeah. that warmth. Um, and I was watching the extra scenes, you know, they filmed this over like a 10 week period right there in bed which is great that they filmed it right there. It wouldn't have come off as authentic if it was filmed like on a Hollywood set. Right. Um there was like a one week where they said that rained straight. It rained the entire week, but they had to stay on schedule. So even though it was raining, they 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 did the lighting in such a way that it looked bright and sunny. So they had to do uh, some extra special effects there. So the way that was shot, the close-ups, um, you get that feeling. You see Rosie Perez, you know, dunking her head in the in the water to cool off. Um, even the the romantic ice cube scene. Um, right. Like that. I mean, it, it's just like you can feel that the heat and again, that a trip that added to the racial tensions that we see throughout the, the film.
2: Yeah. Yeah. The cinemat like you said, the cinematography was, was spot on. I mean, Spike is a master of, of his craft. And, um, you know, when he shoots the, the way he, he has the movie shot. Those, those effects that he have and has on his film, it just gives you a feeling of actually being there and it kind of enhances a lot of the dialogue or, you know, whatever's happening, it just kind of pulls it out a little bit more. I definitely appreciate his movies, though.
0: Yeah, shout out to Eric, Ernest Dickerson, Eric Dickerson. <laughs> <laughs> Not Eric Dickerson, shout out to Ernest Dickerson, the director of photography.
2: Yeah.
1: <laughs> and the character, you get to meet a lot of different characters, like, Bugging out, obviously, he's got a vendetta. He, he wants, he's really dead set that Sal should have photos of black people on his quote unquote wall of fame, you know, and they're all just Italian Americans. And um, that's one thing, um, there's, again, a lot of different cultural groups in there. There's the Korean store owners and a lot of people are just nasty to them. You know, maybe it's yeah. out of jealousy, it's out of hatred. Then there's the Latino group. And then there was the, the scene where, you know, there's the boombox, Radio Rahim, with his boombox and uh, almost like the salsa music. And they're like battling back and forth. So it's, it shows the whole different mix and everybody's got their own, you know, viewpoint and prejudices. And, and again, on the hottest day of the year, it all bubbles up at the end. <laughs> so i wanted to kind of like maybe debate a couple topics here does bugging out have an actual point in that sal should have photos of black people on on the wall in his pizzeria uh, what do you guys think Who wants to jump in there
2: yeah i think i i see both sides of the of it i think that in a, in a sense bugging out does have a point you know sal's famous pizzeria is in the middle of bed star you Know the people that frequent his piz- his pizzeria shop are, um, you know, black people. So, I mean, I, I kind of see where bugging out is coming from. The hey, you know, you're making money off of us, you know, why can't we have some people that look like us up on the wall? But on the flip side of it, I also see Sal's point, you know, it's his establishment, you know, he's worked hard to, as he said, he built it f- with his hands from the ground up, you know, so he's proud of you know, what he's established and he wants to honor, you know, the people that have come before him or the people that he, you know, he he he's entertained by or look up to. So, I mean, it's his wall. In his building, I think, you know, at the same time, he should have a say on who goes on his wall. So, I mean, I think it's bugging out was a little more, it was a very radical in, a, in his approach, but on the flip side, like, you know, Sal was, he was a little <laughs> irritable and a little agitated as well. So it's kind of one of those things, you know. I see both sides of it. Donna Right, what do you think?
0: Well, I, I get Sal's point and I get bugging out's point, but bugging out could just go to a different pizza place. I, I don't know. Um, I mean, bed is not that small. There's other pizza places, aren't there? But like 51% with Sal, like. It's his pizza place. you can do whatever he wants with it, and right. you can go, you can go somewhere else. I mean, maybe the pizza isn't as good somewhere else, which is the which is the problem for 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 bugging out. But probably the best business sense was for Sal to put some pictures of black people on there because it makes your customers happy. Then you know you you'll get more money and, and more business out of it.
1: I'm with you guys. I Sal's not obligated to put any pictures. He doesn't want to on the wall. It's his restaurant. It's a private business. Well, he works; he's out in the public, but it's not like it's not like a publicly stockholder shares, you know. So he owns the business; he can do what he wants to do. Um, however, like you said, um, it's his approach. It's it's the whole approach. Uh, bugging out was a little bit too demanding, but then again, there's no reason for Sal to shout at him, call him a troublemaker, come out with a baseball bat. It's like, oh wait, a second. all right, now you're escalating it, right? you're you're uh it's becoming incendiary right now because now you're you're being offended that he's even asking that and and then you're bringing on baseball bat so they both they both were in the wrong i mean i try to put myself in sal's shoes if i had a specific restaurant of an ethnicity and if someone asked that i would try to diffuse the situation and just say even if even if you're you're somewhat sugarcoating. Like, I'll take that into consideration. You know, something like that. <laughs> not yeah. be like, you troublemaker, you start cussing and bring out a baseball bat. It's like, I uh, I understand your point, but it's not going to happen. Or I'll think about it, even if you want. You
2: know, there's just yeah.
1: definitely other ways to handle that.
2: Yeah, like he probably could have said, hey, you know, all right, how about you give me five people who you think might might be up there and then I'll think about putting them up or something like that.
0: Right, yeah. that's a solution, not just, Right. Throwing grenades.
1: Right. How about put Mookie's picture up there as an employee of the month? <laughs> How about that?
0: Right. Yeah. I think Sal will be uh, opposed to that. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you know, what's ironic is Giancarlo Esposito, who, who plays the role of bugging out, he's half black, half Italian. I mean,
0: this is pretty funny.
1: <laughs> it's pretty funny that he, he you know, he, he has the, he, he's causing the big divide and and uh, he he actually has the heritage of both he actually mentioned in one interview I saw he didn't really fit in in real life he didn't really fit in with the italian crowd because they didn't really look at them but again he didn't fit in with the black crowd because his name is giancarlo esposito right he said he actually got along with a lot of jewish folks that were like his best friends <laughs> it's just ironic uh, but <laughs> he said that in an interview that i that i saw so and just to talk about Giancarlo, like you said, versatile roles. He played Gus in Breaking Bad that people may know him from. And in Mandalor- he's played a big role in The Mandalorian, I believe, which is yeah.
2: super cool. Yeah.
1: And, and tons, tons of movies. So he's super talented. I um,
0: watched him mostly in Homicide those two years he was on Homicide, Life on the Street. Um, nice. <laughs>
1: Another debate topic I want to bring up is Sal, right? Would you consider Sal a racist? Yes or no, and and why? What do you think, Boogie?
2: Yeah, I would consider him racist, but I wouldn't consider him, like, overtly racist. I think what might make Sal racist is not necessarily him as a person, but just the indoctrination of what he's been taught or how he's been raised, but he actually was very toned down. Like, he, he spoke to some people with respect. And even when, when the mayor came in and asked if he needed some work done, he, he, you know, gave him a broom and gave him some pay. Let him go outside and, and swoop the front of the store. You know, Jade would come by and, you know, he would have lengthy conversations with her. Even to a certain extent with Mookie, like, he didn't, he didn't, wasn't overtly racist towards Mookie that was just a, a manager-employee dynamics between the two of them. You know, like, he didn't, you know, say much about Mookie that was could be considered, you know, racially offensive. It was more so like, hey, do your job or are you are you being late? Are you hanging out? Are you playing around? Like, most managers would ask the employees stuff like that if they were gone for a while and came back, <laughs> you know, or they had a tendency to, to wander off or, you know, things like that. So I, I don't think he was overtly racist, but I think towards the end when the bugging out and Radio Raheem situation escalated now, was that word thrown out in anger or was that word thrown out because that's how he always felt about them? You don't really know. (laughs) You know? (laughs) So it's one of those situations.
1: What do you think, Donna Wright? So, racist? uh,
0: Yes, but the the thing that helped me try to think through this, I don't know if you've read Uh, how to be an anti-racist by Ibram X. Kendi. So I'm oversimplifying it, but it basically says either you're racist or anti-racist, moment to moment, action to action. And so if you're not actually doing something anti-racist, then you're you're being racist. So his definition of racism is one either actively confronting racial inequality or allowing it to exist by action or inaction. So when sal gives a broom to the mayor and some money to to sweep up the front he's being anti-racist but when bugging out it's getting in his face and then sal's using the n-word now he's being racist and so it's useful for me to have this lens to answer this question about whether sal's a racist and so the short answer is yes but he's pushed towards it more at the end when the aggravation continues and he does racist things
1: that's a good viewpoint. Um, for me, Sal definitely is a racist. And you could tell by some of the language he uses. Some, again, he may not be quite as overt. I mean, in the beginning of the movies, I'm gonna hurt somebody today. All right, <laughs> okay, wait a second. Why are you gonna hurt someone, right? You're already having a bad day. Also, and I saw Spike, Spike Lee actually helped me kind of decipher this a little bit further it, when he was asked a question like this. He said, these. These people, these people grew up on my pizza shop. These, like, mm-hmm. it's, it, it's a very degrading term just to kind of classify someone as, you know, these people, like, almost like they're lower class because they're, they're black. Yeah. Other, right, right, these people. And um, also, Pino, his one son, played by John Tortura, super racist, using <laughs> the N-word. Like, this is like, this is like Planet of the Apes. This is ridiculous. I hate this, blah, blah, blah. He's always used the N-word. He's nasty to Mookie. Um, again, that doesn't come out of thin air. It's most likely ingrained by, by his father. Even though his brother Vito, much more open-minded, was cool with Mookie. I don't think he uttered a racist remark. He was actually trying to call, you know, to get Pino to see the light that we should all be equal. But yeah, you know, I, I think uh, Sal played by Danny Ailo, was well, definitely racist, and again, it comes out like if is, is it's like you said, Dina Wright. It's like you either racist or anti-racist. Okay. And if something escalates and then it comes out, it's like, all right, this was in there. This was this was DC. You may have tried to bottle up a little bit, but you know that's that's the way you are. So, I mean, that, that's my thought on it. <laughs> What do we think of Radio Rahim's character? So if you guys all recall the movie listeners here, I mean, he's this big hulking guy. And primarily he's just holding his, his boombox, blasting public enemies fight the power. That's in it and just super loud. And even when he goes into every store, he does have that one little soliloquy where he has love and hate on his uh, four finger rings. And he has, you know, talks about it like that. But what do you guys make of his character? Was he... Was he educated? Not educated? Did he have a point? You know, unfortunately, he was the tragedy. You know, killed by the police brutality at the end. There. What's your take on Radio Ra- Rahim? I couldn't get a good read on him.
2: Yeah, that's a good question because as many times as I've watched the movie, I've never really given that much thought. Um, but I think that Radio Rahim was a polarizing character in the community because. Everybody knew who he was, and and it and it was not necessarily because of what came out of his mouth, but it was because he always walked around with a radio. In this instance, he was playing "Fight the Power," but you know he probably played other music as well on other days or other occasions. But I think that the fact that everybody knew who he was, he was like a larger-than-life character in the neighborhood. They never really gave any information about any type of occupation or anything that he did. So. We don't know whether he, you know, worked or not, or what he did, or what his likes and dislikes were, other than the radio, <laughs> which is which is kind of ironic. But I think that he did have some issues just based off of how he interacted with the, the Koreans when he needed to to buy some batteries. You know, there was some some extreme uh rudeness, <laughs> lack of better word, but he was very, very um, out of pocket with them. <laughs> and and, and I, I I would have never talked to anyone like that. And, you know, they're trying to help you whether you you like them or not. I mean, you're in their business trying to, you know, purchase some batteries from them. Like there's don't need to belittle or berate anyone in the customer service industry. So anytime I see stuff like that, I, I cringe a little bit. So in that aspect, didn't really like him in that instance. The whole scene with him and Bugging Out confronting Sal, I don't even know if he necessarily agreed with Bugging Out, or if he was just there just to egg him on, or or what he, his role was there was because it was primarily Bugging Out's idea to go there to confront Sal, but he just kind of you know tagged along. Maybe he had those feelings all along. We don't really know. But you know, unfortunately, it goes to show. Sometimes it's it's better to not follow blindly into a situation because sometimes there's tragic results. And in, in this instance, he lost his life, unfortunately. But yeah, like I said, I, I I've, I've been trying to figure out. Can't really necessarily put a pinpoint on him. Uh, so you know, I'm open to your feelings on this as well.
1: Yeah, I mean, for me, he was a little bit militant, actually. Right, in my opinion. And when Bugging Out approached him, you know, let's boycott Sal's because again, he doesn't have the pictures of black people on the wall. I think he was happy to join the cause. He was overtly, I guess, trying to impose his culture uh, onto others with the music and super disrespectful to the Korean, you know, dropping the MFers and this and that. I don't know. Maybe he was kind of a lost soul looking to latch onto something, and then Bugging Out gave him right. that. Right. So I, I think that's what. Got him there. Kind of like maybe he was a little bit wayward, blogging the winner there. He latched on to what Bugging Out was talking about. He's the one that, you know, in that confrontation, he pulled Sal over the counter and started attacking him, you know, after, obviously, Sal destroyed his boombox, you know, with multiple hits with the baseball bat. So, yeah, I mean, Spike Lee mentioned something in an interview, too. It's like, there were a lot of people like that. This is how it was in Bed-Stuy. There were people walking around with boomboxes loud, and they were just listening to it, and it was frowned upon by a lot of these uh, old school folks. So yeah. it was definitely a source of conflict. I mean, that's my take there. it right. you have anything to add on Radio Rahim?
0: Yeah, so I think Radio Rahim is my least favorite part of the movie. I, I felt like there was not enough character development with him. Maybe that was the point. Maybe the point was there are these characters in any, in any block and that's the point of just a person with a boombox that just plays his music really loud. It's very literal and visceral that it's fight the power is coming out of his, his boombox and, right. and confronting Sal. As if hip-hop himself was loudly demanding to be heard. You know, this is 1989. Still, hip-hop is not is still young then. But aside from the love and hate soliloquy he has, like we don't really know anything about Radio Raheem other than He's really big. He's got a giant boombox that's like proportional to his size, and his cousin walks around this boombox all day. We, we don't know what he does. Like we don't, we don't know what his motivations. He's he's mean to the to the convenience store owners. Like what was this all about? And then for him to die at the end is like the you know, the great tragedy at the end. I wasn't quite sure like what there is a message here in the entire movie, but we didn't know enough about Radio him to care whether he died or not. I mean, we do care because he, he because of the way he died. But like the person himself, what's the real part of the tragedy that that he died? Right. Uh, so I, I was struggling with that. We didn't know enough about Radio Raheem. Maybe we're supposed to, but I felt you know, had this movie been maybe fifteen minutes longer, we could have like really known the deeper tragedy of of, of
1: this. Well, you know, reality. let me let me flash forward to just a couple years ago with George Floyd. Right. To get a little bit deep here, it doesn't make it you know just because radio Rahim may have not been a super upstanding citizen right the life is still super valuable right i see a lot of people trying to nitpick george floyd of yeah. his character right and i think that's totally wrong right mm-hmm. because then even if you give a tiny ounce of justification there's no there's no reason at all there so is. oh george floyd was what was he was he stealing cigarettes or something mm-hmm. like that it's like yeah. oh he had a criminal record like i that really irks me when people start digging into these victims of the police brutality. And so, I mean, how poignant was it that Spike Lee chose Raydell Rahim, someone we don't really know about. And his life is no less valuable than anybody else. Um, really? So, you know, we shouldn't really be concerned about really Radio Rahim's past. It was a violent act that went way too far. They knew they were choking him with the, the nightstick and... It's a, it's a tragedy, nonetheless. The
2: tragedy
0: yeah. that I connected to is Eric Garner. Yeah. That, yeah, that was in New York, and that
2: that chokehold, yeah. Mm-hmm. But yeah, like yeah. I think I think that was the point too. Like you said, that it showed him as a flawed person. You know, throughout the movie, you know, even with his interaction with the with the the Koreans and how he, you know, just disregarded everyone and just blasted his music whether they wanted to hear it or not, to show that. Despite it all, he was still a person, and he, yeah, he deserved due process. he yeah.
0: not, not didn't deserve on, to die,
2: right? Not to die on the street <laughs> by a chokehold. Yeah, yeah. Nope. And I was gonna say, ironically, the person who played the officer Rick was Rick Iello, Danny Iello's son,
1: mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> in real life.
1: <laughs> and uh, I also, one of his other sons was actually stunt stunt double for him. I think in the fight yeah. scene. Yeah, so a couple of Danny Ayalo's sons were were in it as well. Another debate topic is what do you think of Sal's interaction with Jade, Uki's (laughs) sister? Did he really have a crush with her? Because he was obviously extra sweet speaking with her, totally out of his character. Uh, do you think he literally had a crush on her, or was he just doing that to, to dig on on Mookie? Or what was your take on that whole thing? Okay.
2: <laughs> there's there's layers to that to that interaction. I think it might have been a bit of a bit of both of those. I think that he actually may have found Jay to be attractive, and he might have actually liked her. Um, she was very pleasant, very respectful. She seemed like she had a sweet personality she just seemed like she took care of Mookie despite Mookie being older than her. And I think even when she interacted with Mookie, I think everyone kind of knew, you know, Jade's, you know, relationship with Mookie is the one that kind of kept him on on track (laughs) because he was a little wayward, you know, having a child that he rarely took care of and had a somewhat rocky relationship with Tina, his, his girlfriend. So I think that Sal might've saw that he said, You know what? She seems like a real sweet person. You know, I'm glad to have a conversation with her because she is a nice black girl, not like any of these other ones around here. You know, so that might be part of it. And he, he might have also noticed that Mookie got irritated by their interactions and said, You know what? I noticed that he gets irritated by us. I'm going to jab at him. Then there's another layer that. Spike probably intended to put in there as well. More subtle is the feticism. You know, there's been instances throughout history of the feticism of black women, too numerous to even document, or I mean to even go over that, you know, that just occurred throughout history where you know black women were subjugated to various degrees of sexual assault, etc. And I think that. Knowing Spike, he probably was putting that, playing a little bit on that angle as well, and saying like, you know what we know that this guy is racist. In any degree, he's racist. You know, here's a here's a black woman here, who's attractive, and let's kind of show how he. You know, even though we know he doesn't like these people, if he had a shot with her, he'd take it. So I think that's kind of my take on that whole that whole interaction between Sal and Jade. I think it was a dynamic of all those three things combined. I like it. What do you think, Donna, right?
0: Yeah, I think Boogie got it right. Sal calls Mookie like a son to him, and so by extension maybe Jade is like a daughter to him. And But you can't ignore, like you said, Boogie, the, the fetishism that, that happens in, throughout history and these racial dynamics and and these power dynamics, too. So I think it's all it's all in there. And, you know, at that point in the movie, Sal was still, like, not not totally, like, off the rails. And so I think most of it came from a good place, but I think some of it did not come from a good
1: place. I think Spike's leaving it open for interpretation intentionally. I mean, I see Sal as, as a racist. I don't think he... You know, I don't think he would pursue Jade in a, in a physical way. However... I kind of think maybe subliminally he was taking a dig at Mookie. It's like, hey, like I'm talking to your sister. And I know that really got Mookie's goat. And then uh, I think that's kind of maybe what set him off. Because I was thinking in the final scene with the riot after Radio Rahim was killed. I was surprised that Mookie was the one that threw the trash can through the window. But again, I think maybe that was the straw that broke the camel's back for Mookie. It was like, all right, I'm putting up with this racial stuff. Black man was just killed because of this interaction here at Sal's. Sal's talking; like, everything just kind of boiled over. Yeah, uh, and and I think that may have been the the final straw.
2: Yeah, that was definitely the straw that broke the back. Definitely. because yeah. he he didn't even say anything. He just walked over, didn't say a word. Yeah, just boom, boom. Everything yeah. Just set off right there. Yeah.
0: Join us next week for part two of this episode of Hip Hop Movie Club. Subscribe in your favorite podcast app and you won't miss it. Special thanks as always to Susan, Tawanda, and Alice. In the meantime, check us out on TikTok and Instagram at Hip Hop Movie Club. Shout out to your listeners and special shout out to our paisan, Ray Freshing. Thanks for your support and that sweet five-star review. Thanks for tuning in.